Glory to God. This is kind of what I was talking about last week, um, before the message, right? Um, you guys ever wondered why we think about ourselves so much? I don't think about myself. I do, right? I'm kidding. No, for instance, listen, we'll just use this as an example. And listen, we can all just be honest with each other. We've already decided that we love each other and that there's no shame and no one's better than anybody else. So we come here just to plop our hauta on the table. And no one has thought of themselves more than me over the course of their lifetime. I promise you. Okay? But it's like we set up the video and immediately, right, like... Annette, you sit over there so you can avoid the video. Michelle's thinking, I don't want to be in the video. No one wants to sit next to me. Last week, my mom was left sitting here. Michelle knew my mom wouldn't want to be in the video, so Michelle comes and gets the video, even though she doesn't want to be in the video. And so, um, and listen. You're you're somebody we don't know, so it's okay. And, And so last week, I talked about it. We have the live stream because so many people in our church aren't here physically. And it's like the the Gospel Revolution Church um, Bible College, for lack of uh, having an institutional type of thing. So we do the live stream so it gets recorded. But no one has felt more self-conscious about being in front of people than me. And no one has felt more anxiety about that than me. I promise you that, right? But have, have you ever thought why? Do I think about myself so much? Like, what is it that makes me think about that? I mean, I guess you would value uh, the people that you love and care their opinion of you because you value them as a person, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, you're you're worried about how you might be perceived? Sure. But why are you worried about how you might be perceived? Right? And we'll just use this word again because we're just being honest. So please don't take this as a personal word, right? Or a negative thing. Because our society talks about this term in a negative way. Okay? But I don't mean it in a negative way. Self centeredness. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. When we say it, we mean it as a negative word about somebody, as if they're, they're a horrible person. Right? But if you remove the worldly connotation to it, you could just kind of look at it where you're the center of your universe. Right? And it's real easy to default to that place where you are the center of your universe, and by default, you become the center of the universe, right? And everything's revolving around you, and everything you consider is in light of yourself, right? What is it that causes us to think like that? What is it that causes us to weigh life that way? I guess the need, the, the thought that we need to preserve our own life. Yeah, that's exactly it. And someone could adjust that phrase but that's exactly what it, what it is. I mean, what causes us to be thinking of our own life? Why aren't we just not thinking of our own life and thinking of everything else? And if we're not thinking of our own life, what is it that we might be thinking of? Well, it, there's a, I mean, you realize there's a lot of different potential answers for that. I mean, to begin with, we care about our lives. Yeah. You know, we, we want our lives to be as they should be seen as they should, all of these things that, you know, you desire for your life is just kind of like innate within us, yeah. that we want that life to be right and good. That's why you don't want to sit in front of camera, because you're afraid they might see something that ain't good there. And if they don't see something that's good, then, you know, I, you know, I, won't, be appe- I won't appear to them as I really desire to pe- appeal to them. So all of, all of those thoughts can go through your mind. There's yeah. no question about That's that. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Right? So is, is that where life is, is found? Life is not found in concerning yourself about the way you appear to other people. That's not where life is found. Because, but life is found in finding yourself like so comfortable with yourself that you really don't care too much about how you appear to others. Where you're set free from considering yourself. That's right. And that's what I was talking about before the message last week. That's why I said all of that I said. It wasn't to put people under any type of obligation or thought that I should give a word 
or during worship, I need to make sure I get a word so I can give a word, and I need to figure out if there's a word to be had. It wasn't, that's not why I said all of that. Whether you give a word or don't give a word, I'm going to give a whole bunch of words. I promise you. I will give all the words and nobody gives a word. But the main point was for us to lose sight of ourselves, right? And to let whatever comes to us as we lose sight of ourselves with God to be shared or declared. That's one of the things that goes on when you're talking about worship. You're not trying to sing songs. You're not trying to get juiced, so to speak, like in a worldly sense. Like we used to go to concerts when I was a kid and we would go to get juiced. Like, I mean, we went to get in the mosh pit and to just go bananas and let all the anger and hatred that was in us out of us. Right? And then accept the boy. You can't go to jail for beating up people right here. So hallelujah. Right? I mean, that's what we did. But during worship, what, what happens is, is you lose sight of yourself. You lose sight of yourself. Self-consciousness goes away. When self-consciousness goes away, you get caught up in thinking with God. Right? And as you lose sight of yourself, what happens is, is you can hear God a lot more clearly. Right? Because you're thinking of something other than yourself. When you're thinking of yourself, it can become difficult to see. It can even be difficult to hear, right? And so that's what I was talking about last week, and that's what I was trying to encourage everybody in, where you would lose sight of considering yourself, right? Or that when you felt the uncomfortableness that you can feel because you're thinking of yourself, that you wouldn't let that stop you from sharing what you got or sharing what you heard or sharing what you saw, right? That's the whole point of it. And so, Abraham didn't consider himself. Right. And he didn't consider Sarah. But we find ourselves in the place where our minds are filled with ourselves in our own life. Right? And the question is, is that as it ought to be? Is, is that helpful towards us experiencing the life of God? Or is it a potential, a potential stumbling block to us experiencing the life of God? And when I talk about experiencing the life of God, I'm talking about us and God are one. Like he's in us and we're in him. And where he's, we're experiencing him in us, right? Him coming out of us. Him producing peace and love and joy in us. When we're experiencing all that he is and all that he has for us, right? One of the potential stumbling blocks is for you to be all the time considering yourself and one of the things that causes you to think like that, where you're all the time considering yourself, because it's not just that you're a bad person. You're not thinking of yourself because you're a bad person. That's not what it is. You're thinking of yourself, like what Marie said, I wish I could repeat it. Because what he said was like the, the filling out of what Michelle put in like three words, right? You're concerned about preserving your life. And then Maurice filled out the whole thought. The reason why you're even considering yourself is because you're considering your own life. You're thinking about your life, and you, you want to have a good life. You want to have a life that is seen to be as it ought to be. That's what you want, right? And there's a whole lot of things that could go along with you wanting to have a life that's seen to be as it ought to be, right? Now, is your mind being filled with yourself, considering yourself, considering your own life, is it a stumbling block to experiencing the fullness of God? Absolutely. Okay. So does does God desire for us to experience his fullness? Yes. yes. I mean, he went to great lengths so we could like taste mm. him. Right? I mean, it says taste and see that the Lord is good. Yes. Right? He went to great lengths so that we could taste all that it is that he experiences. Right? And he, the reason he did that is because he thought, we'll just put human words to it. Man, this is awesome. This is awesome. Like, God, it's like we think God's indifferent. When God said, let there be light, and the light was, and the light divided the darkness, and the light started producing light, and the spirit hub, God's over there. This is awesome. This feels awesome. Right? Look at what we can do. Look at what comes out of us. Right? And he wanted us to be able to taste that. He wanted us to be able to experience the fullness of that, right? And so if he sees that us all the time considering ourselves and considering our own life as a stumbling block, what would he think would remove the stumbling block? What would he see as the solution 
to where these guys' thoughts are no longer filled with themselves and filled with the desire for their life to be seen as it ought to be. What would be the solution for that? Abolish death. Abolish death, yes. Consider the resurrection. Consider the resurrection, yes. Anybody else have any thoughts? Freedom. Let them know that they already are as they ought to be. They already are as they ought to be? Well, if our eyes are fixed on him, they can't be mm -hmm. fixed on ourselves. So. And what do we gain when we're, our, our eyes are fixed on him? What does that do inside of us that causes us to lose sight of ourselves? And just for the record, losing sight of yourself, that's like a worldly term, right? Because God doesn't forget he's there. So losing sight of yourself isn't forgetting that you're there. It's that your mind isn't filled with your appearance or how you're coming off or your own life because it's not thinking of you, your desire for your life to be seen as it ought to be. God's not, God considers himself like he knows he's there, but his mind isn't filled with wanting to be seen in the light that he ought to be seen in, right? Yeah. He's not consumed with that. What is it that that, that that, what effect does that have on us when we're considering him? And when we're considering him, we're not just considering there's God. What we're considering is God's in us and we're in him. We're one with him. Right? We're one with God. And so what, what does that do for us as we consider ourselves to be one with God? Right? What is that producing in our hearts that will cause us to lose sight of thinking of ourselves? in our own life. You guys realize Jesus never thought of himself or his own life when he walked the earth. Do you think that's because he's better than us? Or better than you? No. No. He's more convinced. He, he was engaged with something that produced that in him. And to Michelle's point, he was considering God. Mm -hmm. Right? But what is it that he was considering when he was considering God? And how did that work in him to where he wasn't self-conscious? Where he wasn't caring about how he was perceived, right? Because the world will try and say, just don't care. And then some people will try to bring it about, I don't care. Yeah. And then late at night alone, oh, they care, <laughs> right? You see what I'm saying? So the world tries to produce that, but what is it about Jesus that he wasn't, I don't care. It's just that his thoughts never went there, where he was thinking of wanting himself to be seen as he ought to be by others. What is it that did, because something did that to him. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just that he's better than you. It wasn't just if you could be a good boy or girl, then you should do that too. Something did that to him. And to Michelle's point, what did that to him is he was all the time considering God. And in considering God, he was considering the Father's in me and I'm in the Father. Now, what did that say to him that justified him? Because that's what we're talking about. To use Maurice's terminology about us desiring for our life to be seen to be as it ought to be. That is justification. That desire that we have, it's an innate desire, like Marie said, that's part of our design. Justification is God coming to satisfy that desire so that you could live and move and have your being inside of the same type of life that he does, where you're set free from all the time considering your life. You're set free from all the time thinking of yourself. You're set free from all the time thinking of how you're perceived and whether or not you're perceived in the proper way to where they look at you and they think that your life is as it ought to be. What is it about justification that gives that to us because that's what justification is is doing that's one of the main things it's it's designed to do it's designed to come and give birth to something in you where you become persuaded that your life is as you desire it to be seen yeah. it is not that it can be it is right in fact that's one of the definitions of the greek word for justification to be in the state uh, that you desire to be seen in. To, to be as you desire to be seen by others. Right? That's one of the meanings, Maurice. You... I was going to say that when you're considering God, you're considering someone who is sufficient. And if he... And we know that we, in and of ourselves, are not really sufficient for much. You know, we, we, I think we've all kind of like tried to be sufficient for ourselves. And we tend to fall short on that. 
but him being the all-sufficient one, we can rest in knowing that he is sufficient for us. And, and when you are resting in that sufficiency, it takes your consciousness off of yourself and puts it on the one who is sufficient. Yeah. I mean, I, that that's, might be easy to say, but it may not be so easy for someone to actually experience. And, but, but, it, but it takes like a, a paradigm shift in your heart, in your mind, to begin to look in it, at him as your sufficiency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not every, you can't just say that to someone and they experience that. But you do have to say it to someone for them to consider it. For them to be confronted with it. Absolutely. I was just thinking about what would it be like to go a whole day without looking in the mirror and just go about your day. <laughs> then I wouldn't have nothing to Sunday morning not having looked in the mirror. <laughs> I, I said this the other day, just yeah, about just focusing on him, you know, seeing the true mirror. Right. And that—that's how, how hard would that be, though? To do? Well, with man, it's impossible. Yeah. Right. And so you're not supposed to think I'll right. do that. What happens is you continuously engage with God. Yeah. Yeah. Right. God is not a, a theory that you hear and you say, "Well, I understand that theory, like the theory of relativity or the theory of gravity." Now I'm going away, and that's it. This is something that happens to you as you're continuously engaging with God, yeah. right? At, based on what Marie said, that he is my sufficiency, right? And so your mind becomes consumed with God, and you end up all the time looking to God. Like, what was Jesus doing all the time in the earth? He was all the time going off and being alone with God. He is God, but look what he was doing, right? To find his sufficiency, to find everything that he could thought that the world would say you can find there, Right? Because what do we think we can gain when we, we think that if we can be seen in the light that we say we ought to be seen in by everybody around us or by the world or even by ourselves? Mm. <laughs> what do we think we can gain? Should we be able to attain to all that? What are we trying to gain? Right? I mean, what is it that we're trying to gain in doing all that? And can we actually find it there? Can we actually? I mean, we can't find it there. We can't. We talked about what Annette said on a, a more broader scale several months back, where we talked about how much of our thoughts are born from wanting to have life. Like everything in this world, I don't know if you guys realize it. Everything in this world, every system in this world, outside of what's supposed to be the church or the body of Christ, has been built upon the idea of trying to have life. So all of our thoughts are inundated every day with trying to have life, trying to preserve life, trying to keep life, trying to protect life, all those things. Now, what would we think of if our thoughts about that were already settled, mm-hmm. right? If we, were, if, if we weren't engaged in that type of thinking, that we were already persuaded, no, we have life, what might our thoughts think of? I can tell you this, they're beautiful thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yes. They're, they're free thoughts. They're peaceful thoughts. They're glorious thoughts. And we, we never think about how, many, how much of our thoughts come with self-preservation or wanting our life to be protected or to be kept. And then we never even consider what type of torment that serves us with, right? Like, I actually love preaching the gospel. I actually love telling people about God. Ever since I was a little boy, I love it. But then self-consciousness came in. I was presented with something that told me I am not seen in the light that I ought to be seen in. That made me very self-conscious to the degree that it was actually filling my heart and my mind with thoughts that were keeping me from doing what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Right? And so now the very thing I wanted to do, I didn't find the ability to do because my mind was all the time consumed with my own thoughts. And how am, how am I seen up here? How do I sound up here? What do people think about me when they see and they listen to me up here? Am I seen in the light that I want to be seen in? Because we all want to be seen to be as we ought to be. But what is this that, that can actually persuade? The reason we want to be seen to be as we ought to be is because we want to be persuaded that we are as we ought to be. Mm. That's why we want to be seen that way. Because we think if we can find the evidence that others see us as we ought to be, that that's going to now persuade us that we are as we ought to be. And do you know what kind of swag or swagger you feel when you think you are as you ought to be in any given situation? Right? 
It produces right. the fruit of boldness. It produces the fruit of boldness. Mm-hmm. That's what happened with David. David comes into this situation with, with Goliath. He looks at Goliath. He considers God. He's not thinking about himself anywhere in the equation yeah. because of his time with God, and he's seen what God will do for him. So his self was, was irrelevant to the situation. So his self was in rel- boldness. Lacey, when you make a nice dress and you put that thing on, and in that moment, you're feeling like you are as you ought to be. <laughs> what type of feeling is that on the inside? What type of confidence does that give you? A lot, especially whenever a lot other people tell me that it's great too. Yeah. <laughs> After I post it, if I'm not immediately getting that, this looks awesome, you know, it's not as rewarding. Yeah. So what is it that that does for us? Let us not just see that it feels nice. Let us ask ourselves, what part of our design, what is it about our design that causes us to feel nice when that happens? What is it we're gaining from that? What is it we're wanting from that? And are we designed to be able to get it from the world around us, or can we actually only get it in God? Right? But do we all agree that that feeling of boldness and confidence is nice? Yes. Like walking around feeling, because we've all felt the moments where we thought, all right, we really got it situated here. And it's like, ah, that's nice. We've all felt what that's like, right? We're not thinking of ourselves anymore. We're just enjoying the moment. And so that's what the justification of life is, (laughs) right? Possessing that life begins to declare to you that you are as you ought to be, right? That's what it begins to declare to you. It talks about the God who sees you, right? Because we don't just want to be seen. We want to be seen and we want to be affirmed. We want to know that those who see us see that we are as we ought to be. And so the God who sees you is that he saw you and he saw that you looked like him and he saw that you were worthy of his love and that you were worthy of his life. And he saw that the only thing that could persuade you that you were as you ought to be is if he gave you the stamp or the rubber stamp of his life. And he knew that if that life could dwell in you and you could engage with him around this life that you have, that life would immediately start persuading you that you are seen in the light that you ought to be seen in, which as a son or daughter of God, possessing an incorruptible life, which is what what we're looking to be persuaded of when we're looking around us for evidence that we are as we ought to be. That's that's why we become self-conscious. We're wanting to be persuaded that our life is incorruptible, that we have an incorruptible life. That's the justification of life. And so I am seen to be, I am in the state that I ought to be in. And nothing around me could ever be evidence that I'm not in that state. And so now there's a great boldness that comes upon me. Now there's a confidence that comes upon me. And even should I stand up in front of the camera or stand up on a Sunday and feel like I sounded like an ass, forgive my language, even should I feel that way, listen, man, that does not take honor from me. Neither does it convince me that I'm not in the state that I ought to be in because I'm getting together with the Father. And the Father's in me and I'm in the Father. And I have the life that I'm desiring. Whatever goodness I think I could get from people applauding the message or telling me that it's good, I got all that goodness in God. So in the day I think I don't have that goodness, or in the day I become consumed with myself or my own life, and I'm caught up in considering that, and I'm fearful, and I'm worried, and I'm wanting, and I'm thinking. It's not that I'm a bad person. It's not that I've forgotten the truth in the sense that I didn't believe it. It's not that I'm in unbelief. It just means I need to get with God in that place because the goodness I'm desiring is found there in him. Hallelujah. And then I start thinking about how God's in me and I'm in God, right? My mind loses sight of myself and the things in this world. I'm not considering the life I have from this world. I'm not considering the honor of man, right? I'm no longer thinking of that. I'm just thinking of God and how God's in me and I'm in God and I have everything in God. And now all I see is God, like Matt just so beautifully said about David. And then I'm set free to do what it is that's in my heart, right? Because being self-conscious will try to keep you from doing what's in your heart. It will try to keep you isolated and alone and quiet. Right? It's like a symptom of shame. And so last week, and I just wanted, because I know people can misunderstand things. Last week when I gave that whole beginning talk, it wasn't about, you ought to be giving a word. If we don't have a word, if we don't have words out in the open on the camera, there's something wrong. That wasn't it. 
I was trying to encourage everybody, lose sight of yourself. You're one with God, right? And as we're worshiping with God, man, get caught up in God. Lose sight of yourself. Get caught up in your union with God. And should anything come to you out of that place, you could feel happy about it on the inside, but then you could think, well, I'm not standing up in front of that camera. I, I don't want anybody to hear me. Some people think they look fine, but they don't like the way they sound. Right? Well, what if I don't talk clearly? What if I stutter? What if I don't say it right? What if I say it wrong? What if no one... Un- All the thoughts can come racing to you, and then you could have gotten something beautiful from God that you wanted to share, but now all of a sudden, oh, I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> so I was just trying to whack at that feeling. And I was just trying to be transparent, right? That you could feel that feeling. It's, o- it's okay, right? I've, I've been doing this for like, tw- shocking, 12 years now. I still feel that way. I still feel that way, right? And I, I used to despise myself at first. I used to think it was a sign. Something was wrong with me. And I lamented about that. But then I realized it wasn't a sign something's wrong with me. It's just a sign that I need some daddy time, right? And I need to talk with God about what's in him and how he's in me, right? And, and, and that will persuade you that you are as you ought to be. That will persuade you that you are in the light that you're desiring to be seen in. I am in the light that I'm desiring to be seen in. I'm desiring to be seen to be full of life, full of goodness, full of beauty, full of glory. I have all that in God. And as you become persuaded of that, it sets you loose to live with boldness, to live with confidence like the Lord Jesus. Listen, nobody in the world around... Okay, 12 people. We'll grant you 12 people. But 12 out of all the people in the world is not very many people. There ain't nobody in the world that thought the Lord Jesus was as he ought to be. And yet, his mind wasn't filled with himself or his own life. Why? Right? It's not because he's better than you. It's because he was looking somewhere else other than the world around him. <clears throat> Does that make sense? Amen. Are we, are we tracking sure. With, sure. with the language here? Is everybody track with it? That's the justification of life. That's why Paul called it the justification of life. That's why God came to give us his life. So that we could be set free from all the time thinking about our life. You're never going to get to the place where you don't find yourself confronted with things that make you consider your life. So this isn't about how, well, you need to get it right to stop thinking of yourself or stop thinking of your life. And if you can one day get to that place, you'll be good. No, what it is is, in the day those things come to your house, you get with God and start talking to Him about the life you share with Him. That will calm you down. That will persuade you that you are in the state that you ought to be in, right? That you do have the life that you desire for to be seen in you. You are possessing that life. And that will calm you down, and you'll be filled with confidence and boldness, right? And it will keep you from lusting to produce that yourself, right? And it it should be easy to do, because the reality is, we do have the light of life. I mean, we actually possess that. So the fact that our, our minds aren't perceiving that or understanding it and we're not experiencing it necessarily, doesn't mean that we don't have it. That's right. It is there. We got it. I think one of the biggest shortcomings is, is the body of Christ, they, they struggle to connect with it, right? What I mean by that is, is we're not going to it like it's a well, right? Like when I trained, I trained twice a day to run. I woke up in the morning, I ran 15 miles. At lunch, I ran nine miles. After work, I went to the gym and I worked out. You see, I was engaging with it all of the time. We struggle to see that this thing with God, because we don't see him with our natural eyes, is this kind of thing that we're engaging with all the time. It's this kind of thing where we're designed to all the time be having a conversation with God around the life he has in himself and what it means that his life is in us, that he's abolished death, that his life has abolished death. And he has given us a life that abolishes death. And that we have a life that has no lack in it. We have a life that is as it ought to be. And that we engage with that all of the time. See, because we'll agree with that intellectually, but the moment something comes and tells us we don't, we're not getting with God, right? We're off trying to satisfy the pain we feel. And normally, by other means than God. 
Right? And we, this kind of came up about being forgetful hearers. James told those people in his letter that they were forgetful hearers. Well, we look at that in the intellectual sense, meaning that, well, they heard, and they should have remembered when they heard once, and then they went away and forgot what they heard back then. Well, that, that's a small application to it, but it's more talking about you forgot to keep hearing. Did Jesus hear once that he was the beloved son of God? Or was Jesus always going off and connecting with that truth? We talk about what's the point of prayer if we have everything in God. Because for so long, we prayed from the perspective of we don't have, let us get. And now we just think, well, what's the point of praying? And we just walk through life being tossed to and fro all the time, even though we're, we're, we're confronted with the truth now. And we know the truth. And so what James is actually talking about there is you forgot to keep hearing because it's the faith that will persuade you that you are as you ought to be. Well, when something in this world is trying to tell you that you're not in the state that you ought to be in, or you're not being seen in the state that you want to be seen in, when you're in the place and you're encountering that, you need to hear the faith. That's what you need. And to use Jesus, he couldn't hear somebody tell him the faith because he came to the earth and there was no faith here. And so for Jesus, what that meant is, I need to go off and sit with the Father in the spirit of the truth. I need to sit with him inside the spirit of the truth. The truth of the life we've shared from the beginning. Because this body in this world around me is a contradiction. Imagine being that great prophet. Imagine being that great apostle. And you come into the earth to spit the truth and nobody understands you. Mm. Nobody understood him. But he's the great apostle? He's the great prophet? Mm. Now imagine the contradiction. Because for him, he would want to be seen in the light that he is the great apostle the great prophet. But everything around him did not convince him or work to persuade him of that. In that place, he needed to be justified. Yeah. What justified him? And how did he get it? Did he just think, well, I heard the truth 20 years ago and I'm good now? No, he, it says he retracted from the people and went off to be with God. He was praying. Well, what was that prayer about? Was he praying to get God to give him something? Was he praying to get God to do something? Or was his prayer centered around the life he shared with the Father from the beginning? Yeah. And that the Father was in him and he was in the Father. And was what was that doing to him? It was causing him to lose sight of himself. Mm -hmm. The self that the world portrayed him in. The self that the world was telling him that he is. He lost self-consciousness. He being, became conscious of the Father. In the life that I share with the Father, even though I'm in this mortal body, this mortal body is not the testimony of the life that I have, right? And he got lost in that. He wasn't a forgetful hearer. He didn't forget to keep hearing. And so one of the reasons why the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, if you read it in its proper context, it's because he was going off and praying. Now, if there's anybody that don't need to pray, who do you think it might be? Jesus. And to Linda's point, Jesus is God. And so when God put on a mortal body and entered into a world that was without shape and form and that was full of darkness, when he entered into a world that blasphemed his name, the world even told God he's not as he ought to be. Mm. And you think you're going to get the world to agree that you're as you ought to be if you can be seen in the light that you think they think is a positive light? You think them seeing you in a positive light is going to convince you about yourself? I promise you it won't. Because everybody and their mother told me I was a good preacher. It never did anything for me. People would message me and testify of how their lives were set free. And this happened and that happened. This happened in their family. People from all over the world. You know what? It felt nice that life happened to them. It never convinced me that I was as I ought to be. It was fleeting. It was fleeting. And so Jesus is going off and praying. They see this dude's going off and praying, but he's the son of God. He, he is the truth. He said, I am the truth. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the very life of the Father, and he put on a body that was a contradiction to that life. And he walked in a world that was a contradiction to the life that he was. Now, in that place, he's going off to pray. He's thinking that there's great profit in praying. Not that God's going to like me better. Not that God's going to give me earthly blessings. Not that I'll prove myself to God. But I'm in the place where I'm needing to be justified and persuaded that I am in the state that I ought to be in. That I am in the state that I desire to be seen in. I need to be persuaded of that because I'm in a world that's all the time telling me differently. 
And what am I going to do when I feel that? And so Jesus is off to get caught up in the Father. He wasn't a forgetful hearer. He saw, even though he's God, even though he's the Son of God, he saw there's great profit in going and sitting with the Father and hearing the faith. Mm -hmm. There's great profit in going and sitting with the Father and talking with the Father about the faith. The faith that created all things. The faith that gave breath to everything that has breath. The faith that gave life to everything that has life. There's great profit for me in going and getting caught up with the Father in that because it will serve me with my desire to be seen in the state that I ought to be seen in. I'll see the Father does see me. And I'll see that what the Father sees in me is beauty and glory and life. And that I am in the state that I ought to be in. The honor I'm desiring to gain. The honor that I feel that I want. The honor that the world is telling me I can get. If I can get the world to agree that I am the great prophet. I am the great apostle. That honor actually only cometh from God. And so I'm in need of going and sit with God. And that's really what you want. You want to be honored. And the way you think you can be honored is if people can see you or see your dress and agree. That dress is awesome. And then you feel like, I am as I ought to be. Validation. Validation. That's what Jesus was trying to get across when he was talking to the religious leaders. He said, how can you believe which seek the honor that comes from man instead of the honor which comes from God alone? Yeah. And in Matthew 6, where he gets ready, where he, he goes, he's talking about prayer. And, you know, he said, but when you pray, pray our Father, which are, but the, he prefaced that above where he said, but you, when you pray, well, when you pray, you'll not be as the hypocrites. And in another place, he said the the leaven of the the leaven of the Pharisees was hypocrisy, and that's who he was talking to when he said, "How can you believe who seek the honor which comes from men?" But when you pray, you'll not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, and that reward is very fleeting. Yeah. All right. But you, when you pray, enter into your closet, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father which is in secret, and your Father which seeth in secret shall reward you openly. Why? Because you'll come out of that prayer closet in that place of feeling that justification because you've been fellowshipping with him concerning that justification, and people will see God on you. I mean, when you see somebody walking in a degree of that, I mean... When we see that, we admire that person. We, we, we'll even call it, they're anointed. Because, <laughs> and, and we know, he says, your father which is in heaven will reward you openly. Well, we've been rightly taught here that the reward is God himself. Yeah. yeah. Blessed in your deed. You'll be blessed in your deed. Yeah. Which is a Jewish concept, which is what James is talking about. You'll be blessed in your deed in going and getting with God. Right? And the reward, the, the, the reward openly is that you'll be filled with the peace and a love and a joy. You'll be filled with the confidence. And somehow, and somehow, I'm sorry, and somehow or another, in, in the midst of experiencing that and walking in that, you actually function the way you should be functioning. Mm -hmm. Because when you're self-conscious, you're not functioning. Your steps are ordered of life. Yeah. That's right. Right? You're, you've yes. lost sight of yourself. Yes. And when I say lose sight of yourself, again, it doesn't mean you forget that you're there. Or you forget that you exist. It's that your mind's been set free from being consumed with thoughts about how you're perceived, how your life is perceived, all those different things, yeah. right? So Jesus, he goes off to pray and teach us to pray. What are you doing when you're over there, bro? And then he tells us, and he's not giving us something to recite, but he tells us that some of the things he's getting caught up in, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That means God's name was sanctified in his sight. Yeah, yeah. It means that he saw God was set apart unto him in his life. God was set apart unto serving him with life. God was set apart unto justifying him. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you think he's talking about real food? What do you think you need every day? To be persuaded that you are as you ought to be. To be persuaded that the life you have is as it ought to be because it's really more about that we say you but it really it's that you want to be seen to have the life that you ought to have which is a good life you want to be seen to be possessing a good life 
a life that looks like it ought to look like. For me, to possess a good life, a life that was as it ought to be, would be for people to bow their head. And I don't mean worship me, but I mean to say, oh, this guy's a good speaker. Oh, this guy's a great preacher. Listen to this guy preach. Listen to how wonderful it is. Right? That's what a good life for me was, a life that was to be seen as it ought to be. And that's why it could be so tempting. This is why you see preachers lose their minds and put a heavy yoke on people to come to church. Because a good life for a preacher, according to the world, a life that looks like it is as it ought to be, is if people want to come. And if nobody wants to come, then it's telling you that you do not have the life that you ought to have. Your life is not seen in the light it ought to be seen in. Otherwise, where's all the people, Greg? Now, if I didn't go off and pray with the Lord and find my desire for that life, a good life, to be satisfied, you know what I'd start doing up in here? Blasting people. You must not love the Lord. Hmm. You ain't here. How come you ain't here? It, we think those people are evil. No, they're filled with fear because they're looking at their life and they're looking at whether or not anyone's here and they're thinking, I don't have the life I ought to have. I don't have the good life that I need. And so now because they're not going off with the Lord and being reminded that I'm in the Lord and the Lord is in me. Oh, hallelujah. They start looking around. Mm. And what can I fix? What can I change? What can I produce that can now be a memorial or that can now be the sign that I am as I ought to be? Well, None of those things could ever persuade you. You can have 10,000 people in the church and it can't persuade you because, listen, the only thing that can persuade you is an incorruptible life. And that's what prayer, that's what Jesus thought about prayer. The, the, the servants are not greater than their master. And I don't mean that in our worldly way where we're like slaves or indentured servants. I'm talking about rabbi and I'm talking about students. The rabbi, went off and saw great profit in getting with God to constantly, you are our daily bread. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. What bread? The bread of life. The bread that will persuade you that you have the life that you ought to have. That you have a life that is as it ought to be. The bread that will persuade you that you are seen in the light you desire to be seen in. Because you see the God of all glory sees you and he bowed his head towards you and poured out himself onto you. That's what it's talking about. That's If the master saw great profit in that. If the master found his desire when he faced the contradictions in the world that were all the time telling him he didn't have a life that was as it ought to be. If the master saw, this is how I'm going to be delivered from thinking of my own life. This is how I'm going to be delivered from taking thought of my life. This is how I'm going to be delivered from self-consciousness. This is how I'm going to be filled with boldness and confidence. If the master saw it that way, listen, we're no greater than the master. And we ought to find great profit in that. Now, we've been delivered from thinking God will like us better if we do that. So this isn't a transactional kind of thing where God's got all this stuff to give us, and if we'll just go do this, then he'll give it to us. No, no, no. This is that everything is caught up in our union with God, mm. right? And so if we want to experience that union, we're going to engage with the union, right? It's like if I want intimacy with my wife, it's not going to happen if I sleep in the other bedroom. <laughs> And if I say, well, if I go into the same room with her, there's a better shot for intimacy. That doesn't mean I'm doing works. It doesn't mean I'm under a heavy yoke. It's just like a truth. You see what I'm saying? I mean, the two have to come together for there to be intimacy. And so God doesn't demand intimacy. But listen, man, if you want to experience God, which is you know you're there, but you're not filled with thinking of your own life, you're not filled with self-consciousness, you're set free from that? Listen, you're going to find that by not forgetting to hear the faith, which means to get caught up with God. It could be off with God. You could hear the faith praying with God alone, right? You could hear the faith that way. You could hear the faith listening to worship songs. You can hear the faith talking with a, a brother or sister or a husband or wife that knows the faith with friends. You could hear the faith coming to church. You're going to hear the faith here every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Monday, every Friday. You're going to hear the faith. That's what we're doing, right? The reason, the ultimate reason is for us to be justified. 
And I'm not talking about the one-time deal that happened. We have been justified, right? We are the possessors of that life, whether we feel it or not, like Marie so boldly pointed out. So this isn't that we can get justified. It's that we can experience the justification that we have. And it's what, what good is it for me to be justified if I'm not experiencing the justification? Mm. Right? What good is it for me to have an incorruptible life if I'm still walking around filled with weakness because I'm walking around still as if my life is but dust? What good is it? Right? right. So that's what I was getting at when I was talking about last week. Because some, you, we can still hear from the carnal mind, even though we've been walked out of it. You can still hear what I'm saying about, yeah, if you get a word, get a word, come up here. You can say, oh, I ought to give a word. Yeah. And you can even get caught up in the place where you think, well, if no one gets up and gives a word, then we're not as we ought to be. Yeah, this guy really is. It's a bunch of nonsense. I give words all week long to a number of different people. Yesterday, I was praying in the Spirit, and I just started thinking of Matt. And so stuff just comes to you. And for the sake of this conversation, I'll just say it out loud in front of everybody. But it's like we think everybody has to hear it in order for it to carry any weight. We give more words of wisdom and words of knowledge and prophetic words to one another than we ever consider. But as I was thinking about Matt, out of the blue, when I was praying in the Spirit, I don't know if you realize it, Matt, but how do I want to say this? The, the way you're interacting with the verses has changed recently. Where like the verses were always in you, but it's like all of a sudden you're using the verses in the spirit that they're written in. And I see you on Facebook and I hear you where you say this little thing, this little verse. And the verse is so meaty and so heavy, but most people don't even understand what it is you're saying. But man, what you're saying is weighty. It's meaty. It's powerful. And I don't know if you noticed that that has recently changed. And it's like the voice of the prophet coming out where you see the spirit of the scriptures clearly. All this scriptural knowledge you had is like collided all of a sudden with the spirit. Like they caught up to each other. It's been working. It's been gaining. But they've caught up with each other. And now you see exactly what all these verses are actually getting at. And you're starting to spit the verses in the light that they were always written in. And they're powerful, man. They're powerful. And even if people don't, don't think people need to understand or they need to catch on to it immediately, because when you post that verse, the Spirit ever speaketh, right? And the Spirit's released up in that post. It's released in the, e the ears of the hearers, and it's working in them. It is doing what it ought to do. And it is powerful, man. I, I read what you write there, and listen, I'm like, yes, because I know what you just said. And we've gotten caught up in this atmosphere where we think the best way to say it is to add all of our explanations and all of our words. There ain't no better way it could be said than when you quote those verses. Yeah. Right? Yep. And it's like the church has lost sight what any of these verses mean. It's like a parable. It's like the verses are parables. Well, you all of a sudden, you, you see the parable. It's caught up. And you're like declaring the parable, man. And it's powerful. The yeah. Spirit is at work in, in that and in you. I don't know if you noticed that. But I have noticed it. And it blesses me. I get happy when I see it, man. I get happy, right? Now, imagine I said, well, what if Matt thinks that's stupid? What if that doesn't mean anything to anyone? What if people think, well, I don't believe in that? Then you know what I wouldn't have said? I wouldn't have said any of that. Right? Because I would have been self-centered. Again, not from the world's perspective where we say that negatively about a person. The self-centeredness just means a person that is fearful for the care of their life. Yeah. And because they're fearful for the care of their life, they can't think of anything else but themselves. Yeah. Guess what we all, we all know exactly what that feels like. Because every single one of us has either been there for before, long stretches of our lives, or still experience it sometimes today. That's what self-centeredness is. Selfishness. It doesn't mean that a person is a bad person. Selfishness means a person's mind is filled with the care of their own life because their life has come under harm at some time. And they never processed the harm that came against them with the Lord because they probably never heard the faith. And faith comes by hearing. And so they can't help but only think of themselves 
because they're so worried about their life coming under harm. That's what's going on in a person that the world would say is selfish. That's why the Lord Jesus could see someone that the world says is selfish and he could be filled with compassion, understanding the heavy yoke they're carrying, the heavy burden they're carrying, seeing into the spirit, having a word of knowledge about their life, seeing deep down into that thing and seeing that it's not that they're a bad person and selfish in the eyes of the world. It's that great harm has come to their life. And because of that harm, they've never been healed from it. And that harm has now got them taking thought of their own life and carrying the heavy burden of the death that's in this world, trying to cleanse themselves from death. That's what he would see. And he would minister to them from that perspective. Instead of thinking they don't care about anybody but themselves. We, we can observe the outward behavior, and it looks like that. But do you see our judgment? And how it's different than the judgment of this person's life has come under duress at some point. And because of that, they're all the time consumed with taking thought of their own life. Because they just don't want their life to be harmed anymore. Oh, well, I know the Lord of glory. And I know about a life that can't be harmed. And I know the one who has that life has come to give it to us freely. Let me tell them about that life. Because you feel the pain they felt at the harm they've experienced. And now you're in a position where you can minister to them because you feel compassion and love, right? Instead of judgment. You don't care about anybody yourself. Right. Don't feel shame if you said that. Don't, you might have thought that about somebody this morning. Hmm. This is not about you can be justified if you didn't think that, right? But we're just talking about the way these things work themselves out so we could gain discernment, Right? discernment as we walk through this world. Does that make sense? You guys, did that make any sense what we talked about today? Sure. Alright, glory to God. We kind of get off and bounce around. Don't be thinking of, I need to live like that. Don't be thinking of, well that sounds great, I need to do it. Right? Don't be thinking of that. Be thinking of connecting with God about the life. Be thinking of not forgetting to hear the faith, right? Not forgetting to hear the faith. Because I promise you, you know, you know what you hear all day long? Even when you don't try to, you hear the world. Do you know why? Because you're in the world. And everything in the world is set up the other way. So even just commercials, everything you engage with. We were just talking about, we won't give it a name, but we were just talking about something that that's not as it ought to be, right? Right? And the world, so everything we encounter is that way. So if you say, yes, I see that. Yes, I believe that. Yes, I want that. Well, the way you get it is by hearing the faith, connecting with the life you have with God, right? That's, that's how you do it. Glory would, to God. I would say something real quick, kind of like to add on to the dress, is the, when somebody tells you, hey, that's a really good dress or whatever, it's instantaneously gratifying, but God is ultimately unstoppable gratification. It's a gratification that never ends. That's right. And you don't want to hear that and say, well, I shouldn't feel anything that they like right. the dress. Let it be a sign and a wonder reminding you of why you feel that you like it. So that when you hear that and you think that feels nice, I enjoyed it. It's okay to enjoy it. So this isn't like, well, I got to get to the place where when people tell me they like my dress, that I don't care. Or when they tell me they don't like it, I don't care. No, but let both instances be a sign and a wonder of why you feel that way and where the real gratification is, mm. right? right? And you'll start connecting with that. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Y'all are awesome. Thank you so much.